Welcome to our latest episode of Seeds for Success. You may have noticed that over the summer months, we took a different approach as Tim, Rowan and Jasmine stepped in to host while I was away from the microphone. I hope that you enjoyed our summer series. This year, we're pleased to bring you many more entertaining characters and great stories from across our farming community. And we encourage you to reach out with suggestions of other farming legends and likeable characters for us to catch up with throughout the year. This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Kylie Matthews. Kylie and her husband, Adrian, own Kuyong, just off the highway between Forbes and West Wylong, where Kylie manages their beef cattle and sheep meat operation and keeps the wheels turning while Adrian works full-time away from the farm. In this episode, Kylie explains how their farming operation has evolved from running a few cattle and chickens to building a free-range chicken meat business of up to 200 chickens that delivers to discerning customers from right across the Central West and at some local farmers' markets. And it's pretty clear to see that Kylie really values the health of their soil and the condition of their on-farm vegetation, as she shares with Jasmine how their massive three-kilometre vegetation corridor has impacted the farm and benefited their business. You'll also hear that if running a family farm and meat business isn't enough, Kylie opens up about their exciting new venture, but somewhat taxing journey, as they branched out into agritourism with their silo house. Local Land Services Natural Resource Officer, Jasmine Wells, sat down with Kylie at Kuyong to bring you this chat. Hello, listeners. I'm here today with Kylie Matthews at Kuyong. Welcome. Thanks, Jazz. Great to be here. So tell me a little bit about your place. So we've got it's only 1,200 acres here near Warimia, near Forbes, and we run a beef cattle operation as well as a few free-range meat chickens here and there when the weather's right that I sell locally. And you're one of those extremely busy people. You're like when I think of ask a busy person to get it done, you're one of them. So you've got two kids at home, two kids away at school, Adrian works full-time away a lot and you're here on your own. Yes. So tell me, like, how do you get it done? What started it all? How long have you had the place? We've had the farm for 10 years now and, yeah, Adrian has worked away most of the time. So we just had our third child we moved here and then added another one and started out pretty simply just with cattle because that was the easy option and that's what I always wanted to run. And then once all the kids are at school, I sort of thought, oh, I've got all this spare time now. And so started taking on a little bit more and added the chickens in and sort of increased the numbers of cattle and changed our management a bit. So, yeah, just keep on going upwards from there. And what sort of cattle are you running? All black Angus. We might supplement with a few trades of different things, but, yeah, the breeding operation is Angus. 
And the place is looking an absolute picture at the moment. I was here, you were involved in our Threatened Ecological Communities project and you started a reveg project in three of the driest months we've ever had and I thought you were a bit mad because you'd be watering trees for years but you planted and they look amazing. So besides all of the production, you're still making time for a big reveg project through the place. When we bought, there's not much timber on this place at all. And so ever since we bought the place, we've been like, oh, we've got to put some trees in and eventually got the funding to do so and just can't wait until they are big enough to be making a big difference. So we've got about half of them in, I think. And, yeah, you're right, it was so, so dry. (laughs) And we put it off for a while, but then those rains came in November and we started and they look amazing such a wet summer it's it worked out ideal they do yeah you've done a great job what I saw on my way in can't wait to see what it looks like in five ten years beautiful tree line driveway it'd be amazing and then tell me about the chickens how did that get started it's top top paddock produce Chickens came about, really, to make a long story short, my daughter suffered from really bad eczema as a younger child, like when she was about six to eight, and we ended up going to a naturopath and, I don't know, you just kind of learn things. And I just sort of learned about standard chicken and went, oh, gosh, anyway. And so I thought, oh, I can do chickens and read a few books, Joel Salatin books, and um, thought, oh, this would be easy and got a few in. I think I got 20 from my first batch and um, went upwards from there. So I now run 200 in each batch and I've been doing up to six or seven batches a year but it is really intensive so this year I will cut that back a little bit because it's time-consuming and hard work so I need to limit myself a little. But, yeah, the chicken is amazing and it's out. So they're just out in the paddocks in coops that I move each day and they're all fenced in with electric netting and I've got, well, I did have two maremmas that guarded them. Unfortunately, I lost one of them last year quite suddenly. So now I have one and she does an amazing job and um, the chooks are happy and healthy and taste absolutely next level. So, yeah, it is something that I try and sell locally through the markets in town and do a few deliveries. Yeah, and my customers are really, really happy with the product. And so how you manage that from start to finish Yep, I get the chicks in as day-olds. From They come down from Queensland. I get flown into Canberra, so I toddle over to Canberra and, and pick them up and they're in the brooder. So they leave, I think, Queensland at 7.40 and they're in my brooder by about 3.30 in the afternoon, so it's actually not that long for them. The brooder is over in the shed, so they're kept protected. They've got to stay warm for a few weeks. So they've got heat lamps there and they're fed and watered in there and then by week three, depending on the season and the weather, they'll be out in the paddock, transferred out to the paddock. So you decrease the heat each couple of days so they acclimatise and grow their feathers and then they can handle the conditions outside. And so then I grow them. It only takes about seven or eight weeks for these birds in the free-range situation to make the weight, which is a couple of weeks longer than in the standard sheds. But that's with no antibiotics? No. So they're fed. I just use a commercial, actually use a layer mix because they grow slower and I just feel it's a bit better for them for the health so they're fed that each day and then just have complete control over what they forage from the paddock so you can see them out there scratching around and getting the bugs and the grass or whatever's growing so there's nothing added to what I give them and we don't use chemicals on the pastures or anything so yeah I can say it's chemical free pasture and definitely the taste shows it. I know mum always says that chicken it tastes different to what it used to. I've got customers now that just say, oh, we just 
we just actually can't eat other chicken. Everything else tastes like crap. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're just meat chickens. No eggs. They don't no, lay any eggs. They don't get old enough to lay. Like I said, they're processed by eight weeks. Yeah. And I get the processing done over at Canoundra on a there's a private abattoir over there and he does a great job. So I'm there for every step of the way from when I get them in the brooder and when I get them to the processor. And then you sell them at markets privately. Yeah. And how did you go about getting that product out there in the market? I gave the first few away to a few people and then word of mouth kind of spread and because um, once I had to get licensed and everything like that so to be able to sell properly. So, yeah, and then just advertise through social media and, yeah, word of mouth really and so now everybody's getting the product that they want. And what advice would you give anyone trying to get into that sort of new I guess it's a niche market in a way because you can always pop down to Woolworths and grab some packet chicken. I think there's a real desire for people to source their produce locally. It is expensive. A lot of my customers just really prioritise decent food though and I have noticed with the last few batches some customers did drop off but I have other ones that just say, I don't even care about the price. Like this is so important to me that it's grown locally and that it's chemical free and that I know the story of the animal and that outweighs the cost. So we've done a few steers as well and sold them and same same with that, like the feedback on that taste-wise and I've had control of that steer right from its birth or before its birth, you know, through the cow and um, right up to processing. People really put a value on that. So I think currently with the cost of living quite high yet like I said there are a few people that make a different choice and that's fine but there is definitely a market there for that homegrown locally grown produce and that's a country market too like you're not selling to the cities Mm -hmm. yeah which I think is good too I mean if you know you went to Sydney you could sell it in a heartbeat I think as well or even orange but I'm from you know a little town from Kendoverland and nobody ever takes you know good things to little towns and so that was one of my goals when I started was to service the people that don't really have access to that stuff a lot so and some of my condo customers are the best customers I have. So the dogs protect the chickens do they go into roost at night or she's just on call 247? Yep Yep. she lives in there with them she goes into their coops with them she yeah they're her they're her friends and um, you know they climb all over her and they're amazing. They're so different to any other dog and they're so incredibly scary when they are doing their job. But, yeah, she's Mimi is an absolute darling with me. Like she's so sweet and submissive. But when they're at work, they're at work. They're amazing. And so you've been busy with another project, the Silo House. Yes, we are branching out into agritourism. And for the last 12 months my husband... Adrian and a builder have been working really, really hard to convert two grain silos into accommodation. So we've got these two old silos on the place. And For the sake of the listener, Kylie's got her hand on her forehead right now. <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been. And I haven't even been building those two blokes. I think, yeah, there's been a hell of a lot of head scratching and pondering how the hell are we going to do this over the last 12 months. It's an incredible build and so they've built in between the silos and got a bathroom and kitchen and like kitchen dining area, great big patio with a spa. We've got one silo is two storeys so there's a bedroom up the top and there's a little TV room down the bottom and the other silo which is a bit bigger 
has a mezzanine up the top with a queen bed and then three singles down the bottom. So I'm pretty sure Nico will never touch any building with a round wall or a corrugation ever again once he's finished with our place. But they are just about finished and it is incredible and we are so incredibly proud of it and can't wait to get to get people coming in. And so when will it be ready? All things going well will be bookable by Easter. So anyone travelling between West Wylong and Fall? Yes. Beautiful so. outlook, interesting house. Like, it's, yeah, it's so fun and yeah. just so nice. I don't think there's anything of its kind in Australia. There's a few silo buildings that have been purpose-built in different places and a few kind of ones that are glamping kind of things, but I don't think there's anything with original silos that are, you know, 50, 60, 70, however years old that have been converted to this level. It's pretty cool. And so how do you get into that? Like where have you gone to for your info? And Well, it just came out of their heads really, Adrian and, and Nico. They sort of, it was a bit of YouTube. There's a few solo houses in America. So I think they've watched a few YouTubes on different things, but they've just managed to, a few times I've been over there and I'm like, what are you going to do here? And they say, oh, we don't actually know yet. <laughs> So, I mean, they couldn't, they were scratching their heads trying to work out what to do with the cornices up the top and just had, you know, nothing jumping out to them. And then Adrian was watching something from the States on a YouTube video and he saw in the background there was rope. So there is 50 mil like tug-of-war rope being the cornices up the top, which there is no other option really. And, and it looks amazing. So stuff like that, you sort of think, oh, I don't know. But anyway, it's just about all done. All the problems have been solved. And it's not a farm stay. No, it's not a farm stay in the fact that we won't be kind of having activities. I'm happy to give people a little tour of the farm and things like that um, on request, but we're going to get some goats and donkeys to have around the place that they can look at. But, yeah, we won't be kind of offering activities as such. Yeah, it's just a place to come and bring bring the kids and, you know, immerse yourself in the rhythms of the farm and, and be able to explore the area from here as well. So there's lots of good things around the different towns around here. So, yeah, use it as a bit of a base for the holidays and things like that. And that's through Airbnb, you putting that? Yes, at this stage, yeah, and we'll go from there. And so plans for the future, what's happening with the farm? We're going to, as I said, we're reducing the chicken a little bit. We're working harder with the cattle, trying to increase the numbers again. We got right back up there after the drought, yeah, and just really trying to manage our stock well, uh, hoping that this silo house will be really successful. And with that, uh, sort of part of that is really sharing the story between farmers and folk from the city as well and bridging that little gap there because I think a lot of the um, people from the cities want to learn and just don't have the way, you know, don't have the context or they might not have family out in the bush or don't know where to go. So I think that's a really big part of why we're kind of targeting the families for the silos. Yeah, and I love that. I think probably years ago everyone had a cousin or an uncle or grandparent in the bush. They had that attachment but I do think that we're losing that and that's causing more of that divide. Yeah, and just knowing where your food comes from, so many... You know, like I hope to be able to offer them our produce as well, like chicken and the beef as well, so they can kind of see the difference and and take some home and think, well, I know exactly where this steak came from. So, yeah, I think that's a really important part of it as well. We have one potty calf who is now, he's two years old, he's 450 kilos and he's so quiet, you can rub rub him all over and he is going to be the silo (laughs) pet and live there. So... (laughs) 
No, that's right. Braveheart will be here till his last days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so and just get that hands-on experience for them in, in that way, like, you know, he's a quiet steer and feed him a bit of hay and that kind of stuff. So you don't get to get up close and personal with too many steers no. in your life. Um, and other than that, yeah, we're just going to keep going with the reveg. I'm putting a bit of going to put some oats in this year and try and, you know, we keep trying to work towards improving our soils in any way that we can and so we'll venture into a bit of oats and a bit of pasture cropping as well, which is a new thing for us. So, yeah, I think the priorities this year is our soils and our silos, I think, are our goals, like our, our main areas for this year. No, I look forward to seeing how it all goes and thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Nerily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.